1: This is a CBC Podcast.
2: Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman.
1: And I'm Mindariwal.
2: And welcome to The Loop. There are some images online right now... Uh, that feel kind of like deja vu Mm -hmm. to me, at least. Everyone's probably seen them. They're empty, barren grocery store shelves.
1: How could you miss them?
2: Okay, they're everywhere. (laughs) And it's not just the aisles, though, right? Like it's produce sections. It's meat sections. Right. And these photos have popped up online this week, and we're going to dig into the accuracy of them in a sec. But, Min, I mean, close your eyes. Picture one of those photos. What comes to mind? What do you feel?
1: Well, if it's something that, uh, you know, I'm looking for, then, yeah, I— I'm not panicking, but I'm just kind of saying, well, I guess I'm not getting that this week or yeah. whatever, right? But uh, I mean, I, we were talking earlier. I had a uh, like a moment like that. I you know looking get, for your onions, yeah, green onions, yeah. And the guy said, yeah, we don't have any, but they had everything else. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah, no green onions. Usually those are there, like automatic, guaranteed, 100, percent right? Yeah. Like a, like like bread, but um, so who knows? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't ask him like what happened.
2: Yeah, but it's a little unsettling, though, yeah. right? Like you're going to a store. I think we're so used to being able to access everything we want, we're yeah. a little spoiled in that way. And for absolutely a lot of people, spoiled, and for a lot of people, it's more than that, yeah. right? Like if you lived through times of scarcity, um, sure. or you know, maybe even if you lived in like a remote community. And right. you know how much those supply chains. Where that's your like everyday exactly. life. Yeah. I mean, I lived in a town once that only had a convenience store. Sure. And so you would drive like fifty kilometers to get to the closest grocery the store, one. which was also yeah. small. But yeah. you know, when they didn't have certain things, sure. you're like, oh no. Yeah.
1: In my case, I mean, I couldn't get it. So what did I do? I went to the next grocery store, and they had and it. Guess what happened? They had a ton of them.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, yeah. but it's it's that unsettling, and and for some people, it can be very scary, right? And I yes, and I think it's. Even if you just lived through the beginning of the pandemic yeah. and you remember seeing empty shelves at that time. Right. Um, yeah, it is a little bit of deja vu. That is not the case now. No. As you said, you go to another store, you've got stuff. It's not like when I went to No Frills and there was no beans left. You bet. Um, but I mean, so like that time you were at the grocery store, when was that? That was recently.
1: Um, yeah, it would be within the last uh, set, you know, week to 10 days. But I, I, but I mean, it, it should be scary because, mm-hmm. you know, if it isn't there uh there's a reason for it uh, we you know sometimes yep. we don't know what the real reason is, but I mean, when it comes to food that's what we all need to survive right yeah It's a daily thing. I mean, if the prices went through the roof, that would be a huge scare yes. as well. It would be panic as well, yeah, because you know I don't want to be paying six dollars for a loaf of bread, no so uh, yeah, of course, people see empty shelves, I think panic is your first reaction. And you know, secondly, you want to find out maybe why or yeah. what the reason is. If they are cleaning shelves, then phew. <laughs> yeah. But if something is hung up in the sli- supply chain, then I get it. Well, well come close. <clears throat> I have an inside source. Oh, nice. Uh,
2: so to speak, uh, my partner actually works as a manager at a grocery store, oh. um, so I'm getting a little bit of intel. But intel. I mean, more than anything, he's around the shelves a lot more than I am, right? So mm-hmm. I asked him about what he's seeing. And it's basically that he's not overly concerned. You know, yes, when it comes to certain products, right. um, you know, it, you may not get as much variety. And that's sure. for, as you said, a number of reasons, right? Grain has become really expensive. So, you know, it's not going as far for, say, chicken farmers. Right. Um, so you're not getting as much chicken on the shelves. Lots of big producers are facing labor shortages right now with Omicron. So that's a factor. Yeah, There's all they this crazy people, weather. So you can't produce it, right? Exactly. And you can't produce it the weather's flooding roads in sure. BC, so we can't yeah. get Crumbling stuff here yeah. um you know that hot weather definitely managed to change crops this summer right yeah. like it's there's a lot of things we're also i i love mentioning this because i will never forget it but mm-hmm. uh, we're forever haunted by the ever given right which was that <laughs> the container ship in the suez canal that got yes. blocked i still like to blame my late packages on that thing
1: i i think that <laughs> i think there still is because yeah. you know just think where that started it's kind of like the spread of the virus mm. uh, we see it spreading uh, in Asia or yeah. in Europe and then eventually we know it's coming to us we in feel the, West, the effects. right we'll feel the effects not right away yeah but eventually it like a wave like a ripple in in the water exactly. it, it's coming to us and I think this is the same thing I mean that we joke about that um, you know the the ship being stuck but I think the ripple effect from that. Is slowly still reaching around oh, yeah. the world. There's no doubt. Each port, like you think of Long Beach, or you look, you think of Vancouver yeah. or Montreal, or or the ports in Europe and the ports in Asia. I mean, it's still delays. Absolutely, there's a ripple effect.
2: Absolutely, and and yeah, so it means that a lot of products just aren't coming the way that we're used to. But people right. don't go hungry because they can't get Fruit Loops one day, right? Like there's always going to be no name brand Cheetos, or in your case, the spring onions that are a different store, sure. or maybe you just say a different onion. Exactly. So many onions. Yeah, um, And we've heard from local farmers, too, on shows saying, hey, like we've got food for you. So shopping local is yeah. another option. But, yeah. but this doesn't mean that the fear isn't real. That fear of not getting food on the table, not feeding your family. And when a premier shares photos of empty shelves, mm-hmm. you have to wonder what kind of message that sends, right? And, yeah. and of course, the reason that we're talking so much about empty shelves is because it's our premier. That shared That's those right. photos. Jason Kenney and other politicians as well have been posting about it. Mm-hmm. So for more, Najib Jet, political strategist at Statecraft, joins us on the podcast. Hi, Hi good morning. Hey, so these empty shelf tweets from politicians, what do you think is actually going on here?
3: Well, you know, I think it must be pretty funny from the standpoint of anybody working in a grocery store when people come <laughs> along and take pictures of them cleaning shelves. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the one, the the, the Jason K. One, of them. Someone said, uh, I think they're just removing it so they can clean the shelves and then restocking it. <laughs> <I never laughs> this happens that. all the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, it's kind of funny. You know, we see all these pictures, of empty shelves, and you know, they they're trying to make us hark back to the Cold War, as if you know, uh, as if <laughs> too much. Many people even remember what that was like anymore. But, you know, to get it connected to uh, communism and socialism and bread lines and all these things. And it was interesting every time one of these um, kinds of rallies or protests like the convoy happened. And same thing when the pro-pipeline convoy happened in 2019, the anti-vax rallies during the 2021 federal election. Because they bring together so many groups of people that elected officials, especially conservatives, see it as an opportunity to really... Build a narrative that combines many of their talking points, right? Like hmm. freedom of choice and fascism, and you know, the idea that the liberal government's handling of COVID has created inflation and resulted in rising food prices and shortages. Like it's just all of these talking points that they love to get out there government overreach and author- authoritarianism, right? So they just think like, you know, when you have such a, a varied group of people with all different kinds of interests and, and agendas, that they can keep hammering away at these, these talking
1: points. Hmm hmm. I you know what? I don't think I've ever heard the uh, two words supply chain get used as much as I have in the last little yeah. <laughs> while. <Were laughs> and you, you also wonder
3: how many people really understand. it <laughs>
1: Exactly. I mean, it yeah. is pretty complex uh, when, you, when you get into it. Uh, were you surprised when you saw, you know, this getting co-opted by politics?
3: Uh, no i'm not surprised i'm like i said we've seen this over and over during the pandemic everything's Mm -hmm. getting co everything's getting politicized everything's getting weaponized yeah you know and it's unfortunate right because this is actually a really serious issue issue our supply chain is severely fatigued there's all kinds of issues you know and way before any type of border uh vaccine mandate came into play we had these issues right and it and it also talks about the larger uh, labor issues and shortages that we have during COVID because, you know, either people are sick or, you know, many people have died. You know, mm-hmm. I, I worked in, in, in a large uh, uh, food manufacturer early on in my career. And, mm-hmm. you know, we used to always say, like, it's not a product shortage, it's a people shortage. Mm-hmm. Right. When you see issues in the supply chain, right, it means that someone who was supposed to pick the crops or package them or yeah move them in the case of truckers is missing, you know, and as, as the Canadian Trucker Alliance said, you know, this week that they were already short 20,000 drivers or so or, or so because of, of labor conditions uh, in the U S and, and around the world as well. Right. So yeah. this is not something that's just come up because of this uh, border vaccine mandate.
1: So what's your take on Jason Kenny? Cause uh, apparently he put out some pictures from Edmonton and, and medicine hat. What do you, what do you figure he's got to gain, Uh, by joining in on this can we confirm that
3: they're from there i I heard some chatter about that they're from texas from
2: 2020 (laughs) well Uh, okay so i was i was zooming in on the photos trying to figure it out and a bunch of them do look like canadian stores like the kind of signage i recognize and canadian (laughs) prices but also like it is as you it's hard to tell they're kind of like zoomed in right um so he says that's where they're from at least
1: As long as it didn't Mm, say Texas toast, I I would say Canadian.
3: (laughs) (laughs) There's guys
2: walking around in big
1: hats. (laughs) Could be Alberta. But, you know, it is a real issue. People, (laughs) like, they don't even, they don't read the story. They just grab the picture and then they respond to it, right? I, I think that happens. I mean, I don't know if that's the case here, but, I mean, obviously everybody's talking about it. He's weighing in. Maybe somebody sent him pictures. Maybe he saw it himself.
3: Yeah. I know, but you know, you would think, man, like in, in today's you know age where this happens all the time, somebody Absolutely. would take a pause and just do a reverse yeah. Google search. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because it's so to easy do. to get burned, right? It is so, yeah. it is yeah. too yeah. easy to get burned. Yeah, yeah. But you know, here's the problem, right? And you you wonder how much of this stuff they do knowingly and 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 don't actually care yeah. because a lot of people won't do that, right? right? They just see it and they'll forward it, and they'll share it, right? And, and, and that's the issue. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and as far as Premier Kenny goes, you know, I also have to wonder, like, does this guy shop for his own groceries? Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, nothing against him if he doesn't. Yeah. But, you know, you would realize that this is like, like I said, this has been happening throughout the pandemic. I'll go one week to I, I shop in downtown uh, Savon. One week you'll go and some stuff will be missing. You go back the next week and it's back. Right. Again. Yeah. You know, these are these are issues that we've had throughout the pandemic. And also, you know, he's, he's so dead set of. Showing the Liberal government is incompetent. Any chance he gets. yeah. You know, also, like, does a letter from a provincial premier to the (laughs) president of the United States have Mm. any impact on border policy between two nations? Like, you know, it's it's just like, you know, it's like stay in your lane, man. Like, we got other problems here in Alberta, and a lot of these problems have nothing to do with the federal government, the problems that we have here.
1: He's trying to wear a lot of hats. There's no doubt (laughs) about it. I mean, I've had a bit of a week, but uh, those photos went out on Monday. I don't know if you've seen any of the reaction or if gauge what kind of uh, response he's gotten
3: well you know uh, the one thing that i do like about uh, about twitter is that people do uh, take on that social critic role and and question and and do those reverse google searches and i and i've seen a lot of that and uh, and that's good i mean we need more of that we need people to keep uh, a critical eye on on what elec- elected officials do during these times
1: we can always count on the bots <laughs> That's right. They'll do some of that. They're guaranteed to do that.
3: They're guaranteed to do that. All all the way from Russia. Oh, my goodness.
1: Only
2: upside.
3: They're like, wait a second, that's our store.
1: (laughs) That's the same answer I read to another tweet. Wait a minute.
2: (laughs) But speaking of that idea of staying in lanes, which is actually that might be the worst segue I've ever done, (laughs) but (laughs) the other big moment that's happening online across the country on highways is the truckers convoy. And of course, it's a protest against that vaccine mandate for truckers crossing the Canada-U.S. border, but it's kind of playing into this fear over supply chains and empty shelves. How realistic is the idea that um, supplies may be held up or affected because of what's happening?
3: Well, I, I think it's very realistic. I think it's going to cause further strain on, on, on a supply chain that's already fatigued. Um, that, I think that's inevitable. I mean, it's going to show up in time and, you know, and it's going to cause a further shortage of labor. of truckers who don't want to get vaccinated, can't work and can't come across the border. And really, you know, and this is the stuff that that really bothers me and should bother most of us is, you know, you got one side fanning this flame of, you know, oh, no, we're going to get um, food shortages and empty shelves. And the other side, the Liberal government themselves seem to be downplaying or ignoring it when the reality is that already we have inflated food prices Mm. it's causing a a lot of problem for everyday people to be able to afford the things that they need but to put food on the table and this is going to further um um uh, complicate that and 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 result in rising food prices and uh and those are the things that these are the things that actually government can affect and do something about right like let's try to get a control on rising food prices and and, you know, and, and all of those rising food prices don't just have to do with COVID and COVID related things. Some of it is just pure, you know, we, the, the fact of the matter is that in grocery, we have a lot of monopolies. You know, it's a few grocers that own everything. And we've seen that in the past couple of years, you know, grocers buying each other up, you know, and so they can control pricing, right? It's, there's a lot of price fixing and price gouging going on. Not everything every cost should be passed to the consumer which is what they're trying to do right they're passing on the cost of automation they're passing on the cost of higher wages that people are demanding through strikes and through uh, labor shortages and they're passing all of that cost to us and this is the stuff that i would love to hear from government right what are you going to do about these rising food prices what are you going to do about the fact that people can't afford uh the food that they need to feed their family and not just food all all kinds of goods and packages right yeah this is the real problem, and this is what our elected officials should be talking about. It's going to happen. It is happening. What are you going to do about
2: it? I'm curious now, too, because this kind of supply chain talk, it feels like Things are flowing away they don't normally, because we're so used to people from Canada showing support for the states, you know, showing support for things like Trump. Mm. But now, I mean, this week, Joe Rogan is now on board throwing his support behind this Canadian truckers protest. What do you think it does when we get these big figures from the states supporting the movements up north and kind of throwing that the other way than it normally goes? <laughs> it's
3: very worrisome, you know as uh, as a political Advisor and, and strategist, it, it always worries me when our politics start to align with and and overlap with U.S. politics, and we should be really worried about that. You know, Donald, Donald Trump Jr. weighed in on the convoy, mm-hmm. saying it was a genius idea. God. You know, and he comes from a family of stable geniuses, as we all know, so <laughs> we should take that very very seriously. Um, but you know, this is a this is a big problem, right? Because again, they see this kind of uh, thing as as their audience as well, and yeah. people that. Uh, they want to talk to and they want to reach, right? Mm -hmm. And and that should really concern us. I mean, what what we know about um, uh, Joe Rogan's audience and and people like uh, Donald Trump Jr. is that if they believe that these protests and these convoys and rallies represent their views, what does that say about us as Canadians?
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, when when issues like this turn into politics, I mean, what what kind of message do you think the the public takes away from it what what does it send to them
3: well you know uh not to be a fear monger myself Mm. but nothing like uh people not being affordable of being able to afford food to bring uh, pitchforks to the gates right like i I really wonder if Mm. if the politicians who are fanning these flames really understand history and know that there's no better indicator of pitchforks at the gate and food shortage and food uh, costs. And, and we, we saw that at Arab Spring like 10 years ago, right? It wasn't that long ago. The catalyst for Arab Spring and, and a revolution in the Middle East was uh, uh, unaffordable food, right? Yeah. So unlike pipelines and vaccines and these other things you can use as political football, footballs, when people can't afford to feed their families uh, and can't afford to... Um, um, take care of their families, they actually don't care what party you're from. <laughs> you know, when they've had enough, they've had enough. So, uh, you know, they should be, politicians should be careful about that. And again, like I said, that is the core issue here is that how are we going to control prices? How are we going to make sure that it doesn't get to the place of where uh, people can't uh, afford to feed their families?
2: hmm I mean, it's a lot. Like, it's so much happening at once and so many different conversations kind of snowballing. Uh, Najeeb, how exhausting is the internet right now for you?
3: <laughs> oh, it, it's not just god I mean, you know, speaking of labour shortages, my, my daughter's preschool was closed for a week uh, yeah. last week because they couldn't get enough caregivers to meet the ratio, right? And they had to close. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate to me. This is the other problem, right, is that when uh, elected officials do this kind of fear-mongering and this kind of uh cause this kind of panic right it's also just exhausting all of us because there's so much on everyone's plate we all know that mental health has been a a huge issue my wife's a psychologist so you know it's it's a huge issue over the course of the pandemic we all know that there's so many other things that people are dealing with like you know my example of like care uh, caregivers and um you know, being able to take and children being sick as well, right? Yeah. And everybody I know that has children is so afraid that their child that their child is going to get Omicron. My child is under five, so she can't even get the vaccine, right. right? So you know, so so then to throw this on top of it too, that oh, you know, you might not be able to get food when you go to the grocery store. You know, how many people are also ordering at home, right? Again, because you know they don't want to go out, they're afraid of COVID or or for the convenience you know, and are afraid that, you know, that order is not going to show up. Like it's hugely, hugely irresponsible. You know, in the best of times when we're not dealing with a global pandemic, it's still irresponsible, but during the, these times when people already have so much on their plates and already we're so fatigued and we're so tired of, of everything that we see on social media, it's just, it's adding adding something on, a weight onto people's shoulders that they just don't need right now.
2: This week, the CBC's Black on the Prairies project released its latest collection of stories, Exploring Place. From rapper Caden's Weapon to poet Tidalope Chanuga. there's a huge Edmonton representation. And this edition is focusing on stories of home and what that looks like for different Black Canadians living across Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And one of the stories it tells is of the attacks on Muslim women we've seen in the city over the last year.
1: Yeah, and before we go back to last year, the story still continues today, unfortunately. Uh, Already this year, there was an attack on a Muslim woman and her children outside of a a mosque uh, in the Northeast, and I was there, uh, you know, obviously weeks later, but uh, doing the story about it, and um, yeah, I cannot believe that we are are still dealing with this, Um, you know, in 2022 again. So she was in her car with her kids when a man allegedly spat on the window and bashed it you know, with his fists, and then he returned to the scene with a shovel. And again, this is a parking lot in her own car outside of the mosque where she goes to pray.
2: With her kids in the back? With her kids,
1: yeah. It's awful. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense, right? No. And uh, this isn't just an Edmonton thing. This mm-hmm. is happening in Ontario. It's happening in Montreal. It's happening across the country. So I, I can't imagine what these people feel like uh, being attacked like that, but... Um, Absolutely hypersensitive right now yeah. with, uh, you know, what may happen on any given day.
2: Exactly. And it's crazy that it's like we were talking about this uh, around this time last yeah. year, right? And here we are again.
1: You know, I, I mean, I grew up, uh, I, I, you know, my background is Sikh. And so my grandfather had a turban. And when I was a kid, when I was eight or nine, 10 years old, and it, you know, I, I would... F- I could feel people looking at him different, and and it made yeah. me hypersensitive when I was around him because I was ready to to, to stand up for him and say, "Hey, hey, he's just just like everybody else. Yeah. He just looks different because he's wearing a turban." But I can't even imagine what those kids must be going through, you know, yeah. knowing that that they're that they were attacked possibly because of the hijab their mom was wearing, and that's something that they'll never forget. Yeah. they'll carry that for the rest of their life yeah. because that's how traumatic an incident like that can be.
2: Well, and I think it's also. What really strikes me about these stories too is just the locations, right? The fact yeah. that she's just in a parking lot. She's in her own car. I mean, outside her church. Yes. Yeah. The normalcy of these spaces. I mean, last year it was an LRT station, it was yeah. a parking lot at Southgate, a mall, right? Like a pretty nice mall. Um, so, as a reaction to this, particularly to last year's series of. of Attacks. Mm. Uh, Faza Omar, a photographer in the city, gathered together six Somali Canadian women and girls for a photo series. Mm. The focus was reclaiming their right to these public spaces. And you can see their photos online at cbc.ca slash place. They are really amazing. But, you know, as they posed, they also reflected on feelings of fear and of joy and and of the experience of being a Black Muslim woman in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. And Black on the Prairie's producer, Melissa Fundira, brought their voices together in this piece.
0: Well, I have to say that um, Edmonton was good to me. It was my home for the last three decades. I raised my children here. Um, They get their education here. And this
4: is our home today. So Edmonton is like kind of all I know. And um, in living in Millwoods, there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of kids who look like me. And so I felt safe in like public spaces. Sometimes you forget that you wear a hijab, you know? I'm walking around and I'm like, yeah, I'm like the next person. I look the same as everybody else because I do the same things as everybody else.
0: But when I started to hear these attacks that were happening, Two attacks in one week. Some Muslim women in Edmonton say they are worried and scared. Three black women wearing hijabs were the targets. People are speaking so out. So the things yes, that are changing are quite scary. I know that my daughter was one of the people that
4: got that um, attack. And um, still she's scared of going out. This woman's mother and sister were attacked at Southgate Center on December 8th. She says they were called the N-word and physically
0: assaulted. Uh, Her two of the women that it happened to at the mall, I actually knew them. So um, it really, like, it it made me angry because I couldn't imagine it was a mother and a daughter being with my daughter and this happening to me based off of, like, just wearing my hijab. So
4: it it really upset me.
1: And then just last week in Edmonton, two Muslim women were attacked while wearing hijabs.
4: And now... Um, My mom, she would, like, know some of the people who who got attacked. So, like... Every time when I would go outside, she would be like, have to make sure you're like aware of your surroundings. Um, always stay close to the school. Always stay, stay close to your friends.
1: Edmonton police say they've arrested a 39-year-old woman and charged her with the assault of a black woman wearing a hijab on a transit platform. Slowly,
0: when I got wind of who it was, it became even more personal and real. I mean, as a black Muslim woman, it already does scare you. But once you know this is someone... That is living and breathing, and yeah, like I'm still speechless, even though it's been a year on, and I still don't feel safe. I know those women don't feel safe. Yet
3: another Black Muslim woman has been attacked in Edmonton. On February 17th, a woman in a hijab was threatened at Century Park LRT station by a male suspect. It's the fifth such incident in only ten weeks in this city.
4: It was Mustafa sad to Farouk hear. Is a lawyer, in- and it was like confusing why like, everybody was being like judging people about like what they wear or what they do.
0: Not a lot of black Muslim women can just walk into a grocery store and, and feel as how they feel at home. I'm usually ten times more heightened in awareness.
4: It's exhausting. It's like you're constantly on like a fight or flight instinct whenever you're outside, which shouldn't be a thing. Like just, just walking down the street, just crossing the street, going into a supermarket, supermarket going on in the parking lot you just feel like a sense of like survival instinct just like come through you. Uh,
0: One of the victims was just going to school and she got attacked at the train station you know and now she doesn't take the train again and as you know thousands or hundreds of other Muslim women reading the the news and listening to things like this um, they're not gonna take the train as well right so it's just it's it's a lot, and it's going to take a lot of healing, a lot of time. And I think when we consider the psychological repercussions that come with that, things such as anxiety, depression, just stress, and then the health impacts that that has, I, I I just can't explain it. It's just like a a circle of um, multiple systems that have failed us, whether it be law and policy, health psychology like it all comes together and
4: Edmonton's all I've ever known so as a Canadian citizen and as like uh, Edmontonian it just doesn't it doesn't seem fair that I'm un, I feel unwelcome in like the community and unsafe I think last four years a lot of things
0: have changed and it seems like whether it is uh, something that came from the south and the rhetoric's from there or whether it is just general stress people are feeling, but um, there's a lot of attacks. I always think that there's a cause and effect for for some things to happen. Whether it be COVID, the amount of lack of education for for racism and discrimination here in Alberta. And I think I can always point the finger at rhetoric that's being skewed by politicians. When you hear things such as, you know, they're taking our jobs or uh, as the leader of the Conservative Party, when he ran for his leadership nomination, take Canada back. like Phrases like that, I think, can seep their way deep into communities where folks that don't even see themselves as being quote-unquote racist um, can start lashing out in really terrifying ways. You can never say, like, what is that trigger that makes someone want to go and commit a hate crime? We don't know what it is. (laughs) But I think where we can start is where that discussion is normalized, where the abuse against Black Muslim women is normalized, where the tolerance of Muslim women not wearing headscarves is, is normalized in political discussion. Like, that's where I think I can rightfully, you know, point the finger and say, this is to blame. And you know, there was a time where women were getting together talking about how they should start carrying mace and pepper spray and bear spray and whatever, and that's not the solution. Are we supposed to carry around, like, weapons? No, that's not a solution. The justice minister here actually said that as like, okay, we should start equipping Black Muslim women to fight back. And it's like, no, I don't want to fight someone just to go to the grocery store. like Since when is that should be something that's even appropriatized? It's almost as if you're putting their right to harm me over my right to even exist. I think what would help me feel safe is knowing that I can be able to go somewhere. And even if something was to happen, I can go and seek out safe uh, supports after something like that. I think Alberta specifically is lacking in victim support services in general. Um, I think our policing systems are very inadequate and equipped in handling the issues of hate crimes. But I think the politicians have some responsibility. The police have responsibility. The legal system has responsibility. Um, I think uh, media have responsibility to create awareness. I think there's like an open wound right now when it comes to this topic. Uh, I believe that the city can do a lot more, maybe have like a full on campaign showing their support for uh, Muslim women. Like, you know, hey, we didn't forget about you guys because these things are still happening. Um, They're not in the news as much. Humanity has existed for eons and eons and eons and terrible things have happened. And somehow we still exist. And somehow we still find beauty and humanity and like sisterhood and camaraderie. It brings me a lot of joy when I do see black Muslim women that are able to, you know, roam free and be um, in open public spaces. I think is like a guiding force that we have as God being Muslim people. You think about the Creator rather than His creation, and if people are doing things that aren't okay or that are bothering you, you just kind of like look at like, what is the wisdom in this moment and how do I move forward? So you just keep it moving. I think existing as a woman, as a Black woman, as a Muslim woman, I can't stop existing because of others. I'm going to exist and I'm going to live my beautiful life. And if it bothers you, that's unfortunate, but I'm still here. You can check out the
2: Place edition of Black on the Prairies at cbc.ca slash place and see how landscapes and classrooms are all linked together with the experiences of Black people across the prairies and right here at home in Edmonton. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team this week is Min Dariwal, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haverstock, and James Evans. Special thanks this week to Melissa Fundira and Omaira Issa, who led the Black on the Prairie's Place Edition Project. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonnieman.
1: And of course, I'm Min Dariwal. And thanks again for listening. There's always so much more to know, so you can get into The Loop with us every Friday and... We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating, a review, some tips. Five stars. Yeah, five stars. <laughs> Whatever you like. No pressure. Two yeah, stars. Do it Three wherever stars. you do- download the show. And uh, if you want to get in touch, we have an email: theloop at cbc.ca. Or you can go online on Twitter. We're always accessible there. Claire is at naminob. Heck yeah, and which you is are bonnieman backwards. <laughs> and I am at min Dariwal. which is just your name. Yeah, D H A R I, as opposed to D H A L I some people yeah, some people get it wrong sometimes, but that's go. all good uh, use the hashtag The Loop CBC on social media or reach out to us as I said via Twitter and of course follow the show on CBC Listen or your favorite podcasting app